I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Last time Brene was here, we had an eye-opening, aha-filled conversation about her best-selling book, Daring Greatly. We have to dare greatly and do another show. That's it. I'll be right here. Okay. (laughs) I saw all of your tweets and Facebook postings, and I know that you too learned so much about a fulfilling life that takes courage, risk-taking, and Brene says, a willingness to be vulnerable. You can't get to courage without walking through vulnerability, period. Back in 2010, Brene did just that. She used her personal spiritual awakening as the inspiration for a lecture that went viral with more than eight and a half million views. In her book, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown has a top 10 to-do list of what it takes to be a wholehearted person, a person who believes in their worthiness and is resilient to shame. Last time Brene and I talked, we got through five of the guideposts, cultivating authenticity, letting go of what people think, Cultivating self-compassion, letting go of perfectionism. Cultivating a resilient spirit, letting go of numbing and powerlessness. Cultivating gratitude and joy, letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. Cultivating intuition and trusting faith, letting go of the need to be certain. This is why I wanted to do a second show. First of all, couldn't get it all in in the first show, but we have to talk about shame and how it rules our existence. And we have to talk about shame and fear and how the two of those work together. And I want to finish today with the remaining five ways, principles of wholeheartedness. You say cultivating creativity and letting go of comparison. Yeah. I I never thought of it that way. Creativity has to be cultivated. It does. Yes. And I thought before the break before the breakdown spiritual awakening mm-hmm. if you would have called and said hey do you want to go to a painting class or scrapbook i would like ah, that's cute um <laughs> no oh, that's you, sweet yeah that's yeah. neat you go do your art yes i got a job <laughs> and you know that kind of thing then what i realized that all these wholehearted men and women had in common was they cultivated creativity painting photography rebuilding engines cooking they did something creative and then it became very clear to me in the data this Unused creativity is not benign. What is it? It metastasizes. It turns into grief, rage, judgment, sorrow, shame. Wow. But we are divine beings and we are by nature creative. Wow. And it gets lost along the way. It gets shamed out of us. It gets, you know, I've watched it with my kids. Unused creativity isn't benign. It gets metastasized. It does. It's dangerous. It also goes back to what we talked about in the first show about gratitude and joy. Yes. Yes. Also has to be cultivated. It has to be cultivated. Okay. Uh, Cultivating play and rest. Oh, I don't do that. I don't either. I don't do that. I didn't even know what it was when I saw it. Yeah. So I Google adult play, which is a horrible idea. It was like (laughs) whack-a-mole porn sites. Um, And I find out that that there's all these researchers, Stuart Brown, about the importance of play. And you know what his first definition is of play? What? Time spent without purpose. Wow. 
I call that an anxiety attack. Yes, I do too. I mean, I was homesick with the flu and I was like, okay, you can give yourself this day, but no, I need to be reading, I need to catch up on this, I need to do this, and so I'll surround myself with all my things in bed and I'll do, yeah, I, I really have got to learn how to do that better. I'm learning, but it's yeah. super hard. It's really super hard. I and feel I like shame gremlins. Yes, shame gremlins come up like a whole day is, a what have you done? It's four o'clock. What have you accomplished? Yeah. And sometimes I got complicated shame gremlins because sometimes I think, if I were really skinny, I could play, but I need to always be proving that I'm a hard worker. Yeah. I, I, this is, I said to somebody the other day, I love a rainy day. And they said, oh, well, I like rainy days too. I say, yeah, because you know, sunny days, too much expectation. <laughs> sunny days are too demanding. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I feel like I gotta go yeah. out, I yeah, gotta yeah, have yeah, a no. picnic, Me I too. got a bike ride. Yeah, I, I gotta do it, yeah. I love a rainy Me day. Too. Me too. <laughs> Takes the pressure off. Cultivating calm and stillness, letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. Does that mean giving yourself quiet time every day? No. No. It means learning how to be calm. Mm. Calm is a practice. Like, I'm nouveau calm. Like, I've learned how to be calm. <laughs> I am. Like, you know what nouveau calm people calm. do? What? They have things in common. They're breathers. Yeah. So if you came up to me and said, hey, did you hear the new news? Calm people go. And they, then they take it in. Yeah, then they go, tell me. Like, what do you mean they said this? Who's they? They ask questions, they breathe, and then they, their big question is, do I have enough data to freak out? And will freaking out be helpful? Wow. So now I, pr I just practice, it's a practice. Like all good things we want to be easy. Yes. They're a practice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, cultivating meaningful work, letting go of self-doubt and supposed to's. You gotta do something you love. And if you're lucky enough to do something you love that pays the bills, that's awesome. But there are a lot of people who have really found wholeheartedness by maybe I'm a CPA during the day, but at night I make jewelry mm -hmm. and I sell it on Etsy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I am a candle maker or I write poetry. We got to find something meaningful about what we produce. And I guess, you know. Otherwise, your life has done. It's really hard to find purpose. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Cultivating laughter, song, and dance. I love this one. I hated that one. I love this one. In fact, my doctoral students called me out. I sent the book in uh -huh. without that in there. And they said, where's la laughter, song, and dance? I'm like, dude, I am already pushing the limits as an academic. I yes. cannot include like, hoo, 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 you know, <laughs> laughter, song, and dance. And they're like, it's the data. You have no choice. And so what we have to let go of in order to laugh more and laugh loud and be is... is Control. Control. Yeah. And cool. And cool, cool is being dangerous. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool is the emotional straitjacket. Wow. It's just, yeah, and I, I don't like to be silly or awkward or uncool. Mm -hmm. And so what most of us do is we get to the point where we never do anything that we're not already good at, and we don't laugh too loud or dance too crazy, you know, and that stuff's soulful and important. Yeah. Yeah. So... First of all, let's just talk about shame. You've studied it. I did. Not many people have studied it. No, in fact, I wanted to study it and a lot of people said, no, don't study it, don't study it. And then I was kind of a rebel rouser, you know, a little hellraiser. And so I thought, oh no, then I'm gonna study it definitely if I shouldn't study it. And I go to the stacks at the library at our college and the first article I pull says, the decision to study shame has been the death of many academic careers. Oh my goodness. I was like, student loans, death of the career. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah, you know why? Why? Nobody wants to talk about it. 
Yes, we have a visceral reaction to the word shame. So you say that if you're if you're like on an airplane and somebody say, oh, what do you do? And you say, I study shame. People, they, they literally turn the other way. I have answers based on whether I want to chat or not. Yes, and the so answer. I study courage. Oh yeah, I study shame. Oh, uh, these Angry <laughs> Birds are fantastic, aren't they? And that's it. Wrap it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the one, two, three is about shame. We all have it. It's the most human, primitive emotion that we experience. How do you define it? The intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love and belonging. And it's does it occur after a particular incident or does it occur over, you know, many life experiences? Both. Both. It could, it could happen in an instant. You know, there are specific memories that we can recall that can bring up shame for us but there are also very insidious, quiet messages that we just marinate in over a lifetime. This is what I have always known about and tried to get across to people. And don't think I was successful at it, really, uh, in the 25 years of the Oprah show. The thing about abuse, and particularly sexual abuse, most people think it's about the sex. It's really about the shame that occurs yes after the sex and it's keeping it the secret and we're only as, as liberated as our secrets and the secret creates the shame and you end up feeling like you're a bad person and it's the shame that damages your life. The actual act itself, people can get over that but it's the shame that you carry with it. There is no question in my mind no that that's question truth. about that. That's just truth. That's just that's like God truth. Yeah. Um, I think shame is lethal. I think shame is deadly. Um, and I think we are swimming in it deep. Do people recognize it no. though? I think people don't recognize so people it. People have one or two reactions when I say shame. They yeah. say, I don't know what you're talking about, but that has nothing to do with me. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about and I'm not talking about that. <laughs> but here's the bottom line with shame. Mm -hmm. The less you talk about it, the more you got it. it. Shame needs three things to grow exponentially in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. Yeah. So you put shame in a Petri dish. Yeah. And you douse it with a little secrecy, a little silence, and a little judgment. It grows exponentially. It will creep into every corner and crevice of your life. And shape all of your... Shape everything. Shape everything. The way you think, the yeah. way you think about yourself, the way you think about other people, the way everything. you interact with other people, what you do, the choices you make, who you marry, who you... All of it. Yeah. You put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish, and you douse it with empathy. Mm -hmm. You've created an environment that is hostile to shame. Wow. Shame cannot survive being spoken. It cannot survive empathy. So if I call you, if I, something really shaming happens to me. And you talk about it. And I call you and I say, oh God, Oprah, it's Brene. You're not going to believe what happened. I'm in such deep shame. And you say, what's going on? And I tell you and you express empathy. Yes. Shame can't survive it. Shame has Shame depends on me buying in to the belief that I'm alone. Hmm. You know, I have a good friend, Robert Hilliker, who I work with, and he's a therapist, and he always says, hey, keep the shadow up here, because it can only take you down from behind. Whoa, that's good. Yeah. Wow. And so... When you're hiding it and when you're not right. letting it up, uh, up front, yeah. Do you remember that, and of course you remember that episode that you did where you talked about men and sexual abuse? Oh yeah, with the, the 200 men yeah. and the standing up? Stand up. Yeah. Like I, as someone who studies shame, I just wept uncontrollably. I was just, I can't yeah. even think about it without 
what it took for those men what to stand took, there and do right. that. Yeah. That knows no race, no, no gender, no socioeconomic status. Yeah. It doesn't hang out on one side of the railroad track. Absolutely. Yeah. So we got to talk about shame. And, and you, know what's, you know what's so important? I've never talked about this in public before, but this is the perfect place to do it. One of the most dangerous things I think about shame is this idea of what I call comparative suffering. That it came to me in a, a day when I was teaching a class and I, was we were, I teach a class on shame and it's all graduate students, it's mm -hmm. great. And someone raised their hand and said, I can't talk about my shame in here because you know, I'm going through a divorce, but I know Susan you know, just lost a child. And then Susan said, I don't talk about my shame in here because I know John mm -hmm. was sexually abused. Mm -hmm. And John said, no, I don't talk about my shame. We rank order suffering. Whoa. It's a comparative suffering. And the thing is, compassion is not a pizza. It's not finite. It's not like, hey, there are eight slices of compassion. And in order for you to get some, I need less. Compassion, empathy, infinite. It grows exponentially. It doesn't matter whether you don't have the worst, darkest, hardest story in the world. If you have shame because your boss ridiculed you and belittled you in mm -hmm. front of your colleagues, yeah. that needs to heal too. Okay. This is what I love. This is in the gifts of imperfection, which I think, you know, I read this first, but I think you really should read this first. I think that's a better order. Yes. Yes, the gifts of imperfection. Read this and then, and then read daring that. greatly. Because yeah. you're like, ooh, I want to be, I want to embrace these gifts and these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, And then I'm like, dude, you're going to need some vulnerability. Yeah. So I love in Gifts of Imperfection where you say, if we share a shame story with the wrong person, they can easily become one more piece of flying debris, so well said, in an already dangerous storm. We want solid connection in a situation like this, something akin to a sturdy tree firmly planted in the ground. We definitely want to avoid the following. The friend who hears the story and actually feels shame for you she gasps and confirms how horrified you should be. Then there's awkward silence. Oh, yeah. Then you have to make her feel better. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you ever had that happen? Oh, my goodness. Where you're like, yeah. Oh, so God. now you have to now put yeah. your shingle out for that person. Yeah. Yeah, now I'm still in shame and I'm one less friend down. I'm like, and you're gone. <laughs> the friend who responds with sympathy, I feel so sorry for you rather than empathy. I get it. I feel with you and I've been there. If you want to see a shame cyclone turn deadly, throw one of these at it. Oh, you poor thing. Yes or the incredibly passive-aggressive Southern version of sympathy. I love this. Bless your heart. Yes. That just make, that gives me the shivers when you say that. That's yes. like, I'm fixing to tear you down and God is on my side. Yeah. It is the worst. We've all been there. The friend who needs you to be the pillar of worthiness and authenticity, she can't help because she's too disappointed in your imperfections because you've let her down. Yes. Painful. The friend who is so uncomfortable with vulnerability that she scolds, how did you let this happen? The friend who is all about making it better and out of her own discomfort refuses to acknowledge that you can actually be crazy and make terrible choices. You're exaggerating, the person says. It wasn't that bad. Right. Yes. And the friend who confuses connection with the opportunity to one-up you. Well, that's nothing. Listen to what happened to me. So when you open yourself up and you're vulnerable enough to share something that has shamed you, what are you really looking for? I'm looking for the person who loves me, not despite my vulnerability and imperfection, but because of it. I'm looking for what I call my move the body friends. I'm looking for the folks who are gonna show up and wade through the deep with me. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's a myth that you should have more than one or two of those. 
you know, the TV commercials that show 15 of us laughing and doing that kind of stuff. Uh-uh. uh-uh. You got one person in your life who you can call and say, I just told a bold-faced lie to someone I care about and I have no way to get out of it and I'm in a shame yeah. storm of epic proportion. You have one person that look at you and say, all right, let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I've done it. Let's talk it through. You are so lucky. And if you have two or three, that's forget it. it. That, forget lottery. it. Lottery. Lottery. Yeah. And you know what we, what we all do, myself included, is we steamroll over those people to get the attention and appreciation of the people who will never show up for us like that. Wow. So like, you know, you may be my best friend and you might be all around me all the time, but those folks, those women at the mall that mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. they're the ones I'm really worried about. Yeah. Trying to please or prove yourself right. to them. And you say, of course, we're all capable of being these friends. Yes. But especially if someone tells us a story that gets right up in our own shame, that's when, you're, that's when it hits the nerve, right? You're human, imperfect, and vulnerable. Yeah. Yes. It's hard to practice compassion when we're struggling with our own authenticity or when our own worthiness is off balance. And you know what means the most to me? What means the most to me is if I go to someone with my shame story, and my whole mantra is, you share with people who've earned the right to hear your story. Damn, that is good. Right? Doggone it. Like, you have to earn the right to hear my story. It's an honor to hold space for me when I'm in shame. Like, and so I want to share. And if I share with someone. We need to just take pause with that for a moment. Okay. You sh- because this is how people get so messed up and violated. They, it's like the Bible says, casting your pearls before swine. It's you true. Know, offering yourself up to people who don't deserve to have that offering. That's right. And you have to think long and hard about who has earned the right to hear the story and with whom am I in a relationship that can bear the weight of the story. Wow. That is, that is powerful. And if I go to someone and I share it, and they come back with one of those bad, like not helpful, not empathic answers, Mm -hmm. and then a week later, a day later, an hour later, they call and say, I didn't show up for you. You were so much in my stuff. I couldn't couldn't be with you in that. That means even more to me. We're not going to do empathy perfectly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to have the right response every time. Yeah, but how do you, if you don't even know that you're carrying the shame, which I know you know, there's going to be such a huge reaction to you being here because people are going to hear this and know that you're talking exactly to them and about them. How do you unpack it? Well, I think one of the biggest unpacking pieces is to get clear about the difference between shame and guilt. Really? And the difference between shame and guilt is the difference between I am bad and I did something bad. So let me give you an example. I drink too much on Thursday night. I'm so hungover Friday that I get to work I miss a meeting and my self-talk is, God, I'm an idiot. I'm such a loser. Shame. I'm an idiot. I'm a loser. Mm -hmm. Same scenario. I get to work, but my self-talk is, that was a really stupid thing to do. I wasn't thinking. Mm -hmm. So the focus Mm -hmm. on self versus the focus on behavior. Mm -hmm. Is this linguistics? Is this a pet peeve? What's the deal? This is serious. We measure shame and guilt in people by how they talk to themselves. What are the messages? How do they speak to themselves? Shame, this is going to freak you out. Okay. Highly correlated with addiction, depression, eating disorders, violence, bullying, and aggression. Guilt, inversely correlated with those. People who are able to really change the self-talk and believe it have far better outcomes on all those measures. 
the pushback is I don't get the difference between shame and guilt. So the difference between shame is guilt and guilt is, you know, let me ask you something. If you hurt my feelings, mm -hmm. would you be willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake? I'm so sorry. I made a mistake, right? I made a mistake. That's guilt. Yeah. Shame, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. I always do that. I'm so stupid. I'm so, right. yeah. I'm I, such an idiot. Nothing I'm so ever loser. works. Da, da, da. I'm a that thing. crappy mom. Yeah. I'm fat. That I'm ugly. Shame. That shame. That shame. Uh-huh. We have to get really clear. And so when something shaming happens for me, for example, what I try to do is I try to do everything that's counterintuitive. Because uh -huh. this is what I learned. Men and women mm -hmm. with high levels of resilience to shame mm -hmm. share very specific things in common. The first thing I try to do, which is so hard, talk to myself like I would talk to Ellen or Charlie, my kids. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I try to do is say, you made a mistake. You're human. Yeah. You're okay. You're okay. I love you. Yeah. We're going to get through this. Yeah. But the big pieces, I mean, this is the hard one. You got to reach out and tell the story. You got to speak your shame. Wow. Ooh, that's so good. Great story real quick. Yeah. Ellen's in kindergarten. I get a call from her teacher. She says, Oh my God, I know exactly what you do for a living. And I was like, oh, great. I was like, why? She, Ellen was in the glitter center today. And I looked <laughs> over and I said, man, Ellen, you're messy. And she shut straight up and said, I may be making a mess, but I am not messy. Wow. Yeah. And then of course I was like, oh, great. Now I'm that parent, you know, like, now I'm like that. <laughs> That's great. Here comes Brene, the shame researcher, you know. <laughs> That's great. Maya has said to me for years, Dr. Andal has said for years about how words are almost tactile and how they attach themselves, not just to us, but to the furniture in the house and the things in the room and that how words carry such powerful meaning that it lasts. So what you're saying that if you label yourself that, if you have done that to yourself, as if you labeled yourself as stupid or labeled yourself as messy or yes. as that tape then gets replayed over and over and over and over in life. Oh my God. And let me tell you one thing I've learned from my research that I am so clear on that I just believe it in my bones, love and belonging, irreducible needs of men, women, and children. In the absence of love and belonging, there will always be suffering, period. In the absence of always. love, and belonging, there will always be suffering. Always. So when people say all the time, you know, why does God let this happen? Why did God let that happen to those children? Why does God let people starve? I always say, God is, you know, God is always available to us, is there, is here all the time, is always waiting on you. And people don't suffer because of God, people suffer because of people because of our absence of allowing the spirit of God to flow through us. Is preach. that not the, preach, is that not, preach. hello. Is that not the truth? No, it's true. I mean, I think when those things happen, God weeps right alongside of us. Mm -hmm. Because of what you just said, that all of us are longing for that connection. It's not negotiable. We are neurobiologically hardwired for connection, yeah. for love, for belonging. It's in our DNA. Okay, and you have a beautiful definition of connection. Do you remember it? Yeah. This is the one I love so much. Connection is the energy that is created between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment. You know, that made me weep. And it made me weep because 
I have, over the years, on this show and in my work, felt such a deep connection to people I didn't even know. And when I thought, oh, gee, I just use the word all the time, I never really thought about what it meant, it is the energy that is created when people feel seen and heard. And do you know that for years on this show, the Oprah show, on this show, Super Soul Sunday, I would say the one lesson I learned early on is that what everybody wants is to be seen and heard. They want to know, do I matter? And does what I say mean anything to you? That's why we're soulmates. <laughs> it's true. Because you get me. No. <laughs> you had me at hello. <laughs> no, I do. I think, and I think shame unravels connection. Yes, of course it does. Yeah. Because it makes you think I'm the only one who's ever felt yeah. this and I'm the one that feels this and nobody else has ever felt. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, people always say to me, why do you think so many people have watched your TED talk? Why do you think, you know, your work resonates with people? I think people need exactly what you say to be seen and heard and valued. Yes. And I think the one thing I do, the thing that I'm trying to own as my gift is I'm good at giving people language to describe experiences that we've all had. So that's what you do. You give us a language to understand more fully and, and deeply what we already knew. That's my goal now, to yes. language it and let you know you're not alone. You are an aha verifier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a sweatshirt. You are an aha verifier. That's what you are. That's great. One of the things I think is the most moving here is the wholehearted parenting manifesto. I mean, because what's so great about all of this information, it's great to be able to use for yourself, but I just think how wonderful to be able to raise your kids this way. So can you read the parenting manifesto? I can. Yes. I don't know if I can read it without crying because yeah, well. I'm away from my kids. <laughs> but um, okay. And this is every, every home has to have its own manifesto. Yeah. If you don't, then your home is operating under, you know, confusion and chaos and whatever. And maybe you have a manifesto that hasn't been spoken, but I love this for people to sort of incorporate as their own and adjust as, as, as they will. But above all else, I want you to know that you are loved and lovable. You're saying this to your children? Yes. Okay. You will learn this from my words and my actions. The lessons on love are in how I treat you and how I treat myself. I want you to engage with the world from a place of worthiness. You will learn that you are worthy of love, belonging, and joy every time you see me practice self-compassion and embrace yes. my own imperfections. Yes. We will practice courage in our family by showing up, letting ourselves be seen, and honoring vulnerability. We'll share our stories of struggle and strength. There will always be room in our home for both. We will teach you compassion by practicing compassion with ourselves first, then with each other. I want you to know joy, so together we'll practice gratitude. I want you to feel joy, so together we'll learn how to be vulnerable. Together we'll cry and face fear and grief. I will want to take away your pain, but instead I will sit with you and teach you how to feel it. Oh, I'm gonna cry right now. We all want a mother like that Me and a dad, wow. Steve, hello. <laughs> we will laugh and sing and dance and create. We will always have permission to be ourselves with each other, no matter what. You will always belong here. Okay. Mm. Okay. 
as you begin your wholehearted journey, the greatest gift that I can give to you is to live in love with my whole heart and to dare greatly. I will not teach or love or show you anything perfectly, but I will let you see me and I will always hold sacred the gift of seeing you, truly deeply seeing you. I wish for every parent in the world to go to Oprah.com, get that book, put that on their wherever in your house, in your kitchen. I, I just wish everybody could live by those words, really. Me we too. Would, that's how you change the world. I believe it. That's really what we're all looking for, is the validation to know that we were seen and that we were heard. It's been an honor to share this space with you. Oh, just God, I feel the same way. I just feel, I feel like, like I've just known you my whole life. I feel like there'll be many more. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.